Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you very much once again for giving us a small part of your week as we discuss what I believe is one of the most fascinating practices of communication at a time when there is such fundamental change. It's really interesting, actually. I um, Before I get into the definition, and I will do that, and before I introduce my, my guest this week, I do just want to share some um, just some insights, actually. I was listening to some podcasts, and I'm a mad consumer of, of podcasts. And Barack Obama, in the final days of his administration, as he was doing his lap of honour through Washington, made himself available to a number of people. And there's a, there's a great podcast done on CNN by a guy called David Axelrod, who used to be his media and strategic advisor. It's called The Axe Files. And uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great podcast. And he, inter- he actually interviewed quite a number of um, senior um, uh, Obama administration officials. But he did have the, the former president on. And it was interesting that in that uh, particular podcast, when he was asked about his future, uh, the president was asked about, you know, what was the, the, uh, the priorities for his future? What was he going to be doing? And he spoke about his presidential institute and he nominated communication as one of his priorities. He spoke about um, the failing media environment and the problem of trying to get messages through and having to deal with the filter of the media and he wants to explore that. So that's fascinating, isn't it, that he would nominate that as a priority for his work um, post uh, his presidency of the United States. So get on to the, the Axe Files. I think you would enjoy it. Uh, it is a really fine, fine podcast and he does some great interviews. And if you're interested in government and how government works, it's not always about communication, but there are some fascinating um, people there that he does interview uh, week in and week out who are involved in um, in government and the public sector. So just a just an insight there that I would share with you. And um, uh, interestingly enough, I am going to approach, uh, not the president, I won't approach him directly, but I've found the guy who's going to stay with him, who used to be his speechwriter. So I've tracked his email address down. So he's in trouble. I am going to get him because I want him to get involved in the research project that we're doing at the ANU. And I would encourage all of you to actually jump on to contentgroup.com.au forward slash research, understand what the project's about, sign yourself up because we are really building some momentum around uh, government at a uh, local level, at a state level, at a national level and at a multilateral level, lots of governments want to participate in trying to solve this problem, which we are committed to, which is to help government to communicate more effectively. So wonderful uh, research project and um, yeah, so please jump online and get involved with that. So to the definition uh, as we begin the program each week, content uh, communication is a strategic, measurable and accountable business process that relies on the creation, curation and distribution of useful, relevant and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience, understanding now it's specific, we have to be narrow, in order 
to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So to our guest today, Sonia Santum is so passionate about the power of storytelling in the public sector that she's doing a PhD at the University of Canberra. And what Sonia and her supervisor are setting out to explore is the evidence base for embedding oral storytelling in organisational communication practices. Sonia started her career as a journalist at the Sydney Morning Herald and the Jakarta Post, telling people's stories. She now works as a strategic communication specialist and over the past two decades has helped Qantas and state government agencies promote their organisational stories. She joins me now in the studio. Sonia, welcome to In Transition. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. So... Why a PhD? How did this sort of come about that you would go from a a sort of stellar career in organisational communication? What encouraged you to take that step? Because it's such a big step. So uh, as you said, David, I'd been uh, telling stories as a journalist, telling stories as a communication specialist, but it really came to a workshop that I did three years ago on storytelling. I was a participant in that, where I realised the power of personal stories, that anecdotes and personal stories could be used in a business context and they could pack a punch. They had a lot of power. And so in terms of those insights that you were working with, that was the the workshop from the organisation Anecdote? That's right, yes. So uh, that was a workshop run by Anecdote and they have a story framework and it's a very effective workshop uh, in bringing people up to speed, giving them the skills that they need uh, to be able to use stories in the workplace. But how hard is it for public sector communicators to tell personal stories given the way that organisations are set up in that political realm where it's, you know, the minister who speaks or perhaps the senior executive, but not many others are, you know, able to tell their story, at least publicly. Well, that's actually one of the reasons why I was so interested to pursue a PhD because you're right. At the moment, storytelling is very much the domain of leaders. So you see chief executives, you mentioned Obama, Steve Jobs, um, when he was CEO of Apple, they were excellent users of storytelling. So uh, in the As an individual in an organisation, it may seem a bit daunting. There are communication norms and it's not uh, the regular thing that you would hear or see. Uh, But the reality is that more and more people are using it because they need to cut through. We are overloaded with information. We are drowning in PowerPoint presentations and dot points. And a story does allow you to cut through and it resonates with the listeners. And you are able to be remembered. Your information, your message is remembered long after. And so it is something that everybody can use in a job interview, in a, in a meeting, uh, at a staff briefing. So it, it does, it's not just the domain of leaders. Okay. So we'll come to what makes a good story uh, at the moment. But is what you're saying that it's equally applicable internally as well as externally because ultimately by telling stories, the aim is to move people. Absolutely. And so I believe that there is uh, an an aspect of professional identity that you can project if you are using storytelling as an individual in an organisation. The person next to you may not be doing it, you're doing it, you do stand out and it is something that you can use uh, within an organisation but it's equally something that you can use uh, as a front-facing person when you're going out that you can use to... Uh, as an icebreaker, uh, as a way to influence um, and as a way to explain the direction of your organisation in language that people can understand. Okay, so what makes a good story? 
That's a very good question because uh, a lot of people, uh, storytelling and stories, they're a bit of a buzzword these days. And a lot of people think that they're telling a story, but they're actually talking about a story um, rather than necessarily having all those elements. Um, so there are many different um, frameworks that are out there. But essentially, um, one of the key things is a good story has to have a point. Why are you telling it? Yeah. There has to be a reason that you're telling it. The best anecdote in the world is uh, is going to fall short if you don't relate it back to the point you're trying to make. Okay. And uh, you mentioned Obama and he actually is one of my favourites in terms of a great story. Um, he, uh, when he was campaigning to be president uh, second time around um, for his second term, uh, he he talks at a big rally about how a congresswoman asked, he asked for her support and uh, she said to him, well, if you come to Greenwood, um, you'll have my support. So some weeks later, true to his word, he did that. He showed up late at night, he arrived the very next morning, got up very early, it was a long drive, two or three hours to get to Greenwood and when he got there, uh, it was about 20 or 30 people, everyone was looking very sleepy, blurry-eyed, as was he, and he's thinking, oh, how's this going to go? And there's a woman in the corner of the room, short woman, big church hat as he describes her, and uh, she says, fired up. And everyone in the room says, fired up. And then she says, ready to go. And they say, ready to go. And so the room starts getting into this kind of chant and he's looking around, he's looking at his <laughs> visor, he thinks, what the hell's going on here? She's, you know, she's showing me up. But what he said happened is that the mood in the room changed and... You know, he started doing it too. And and um, later in the day, he'd see his staff would say to him, are you fired up, Mr President? He said, fired up? And he'd say, are you ready to go? And he'd say, you're ready to go. And so he talked about this at the rally about how um, one voice can change a room. Okay. And he said, if you can change a room, you can change a state. And if you can change a state, you can change a nation. And if you can change a nation, you can change the world. So he used this as a rallying point, this this personal story of this that he experienced um, to bring it back to that broader issue that one voice counts and to encourage people to go out and vote. And that was the power of that story in that situation. Yeah, and it's interesting when you tell that story, I was – you know, as soon as you started, I was like, oh, okay, so I wonder where this is going. And as you were thought, I said, okay, oh, well, why is she doing that? So it does automatically engages you, doesn't it? It engages not just the, the head but the heart. It's like, oh, okay, I wonder, that must have felt great when you were there and all of a sudden 30 people sleeping. It's, it is, there you go, there's a, there's a demonstration. I'm sure the audience was exactly the same. That as soon as you dropped into that story, you grab the audience, don't yeah. you? And it takes you there. This is the amazing thing about yeah. a story. It's, it's something called double anchoring because what it does is you'll remember that you were sitting here with me when I told you that story yeah. but you're also transported to that room in Greenwood yeah. where that is transpiring. You're imagining it in your own brain and that is the difference between dot points on a, on a PowerPoint slide. You don't remember where you were. There's, there's nothing emotional. There's no connection to it. It doesn't take you there. And so it's not to say that there's not a place for PowerPoint and dot points. Uh, it's, it's just saying that uh, whatever technique you're using, if you infuse stories into it, it really can uh, take it up to that next level. Yeah, but there is that famous saying, and I think I'll get his name wrong, Donald Carl Hain, I think his name is. He's a Canadian um, psychotherapist and it's this it's, it's a longish quote but just to sort of you know um, make it a bit smaller it's essentially facts validate but it's emotion that drives action is what he's saying and I find that to that that is certainly my experience and certainly the practice that we have here at content group is to actually try to find the emotion in order to you know inspire people to take action that's right and that brings authenticity 
people can relate to that and then they, they have affinity as well, that, that, that you'll like them, that they can relate to you. So it really, it really is a way of connecting with people, very powerful. So in terms of this structure, this approach to, to storytelling, so I'm sitting down, okay, and I'm, I'm a, a communicator and I want to make a difference uh, but I also, as you say, want to sort of spread it around so we get as many people as possible communicating powerfully, not boring, so as that they can get it. So I've, I've sat down and I've thought, okay, I've got my point, I want to make my point, and then I've got my anecdote to support my point. What do I do next? Don't sanitise the details. Don't take out the person's name. Don't take out that colourful, quirky bit. It's often just this small thing in a story that uh, can make it so powerful. So one of the one of the things, I guess, there is some pressure in, in corporate comms culture where um, it, it needs to read like a good news story, a press release, but the reality is that uh, the detail, the messiness is what people can relate to. And I guess the other thing to say is that we're, we're lucky in this digital age that many of the platforms that we're so familiar with using nowadays lend themselves to, to story. Um, so much more video content, which is, which is great for oral storytelling. Mm. But that messiness is often difficult, isn't it, within that structured, hang on, we've got to get this right, we've got to spell it right, we've got to, you know, make sure that we present the facts and... It's, do you find that in your experience that there is a, a clash between the, the existing culture within many government and public sector organisations and the freedom of storytelling, the, the freedom and, and expressiveness of storytelling? Without a doubt. Right. There definitely is. Okay. So how do you overcome that? You get someone to do a PhD. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hopefully, yes. <laughs> to create the evidence because we've got to have an evidence base. We do need that evidence base yeah. um, because it is difficult to change those practices when we're so used to doing it a certain way. The change is scary but, yeah. the, but the risk is worthwhile because the benefits are there. Um, I mean, just think about it from this perspective. Um, you're, the more stories you get, the more diversity, the different voices you get, there's not sort of, sort of one dominant story. It's a multitude of stories and uh, that's what makes up uh, your organisational culture, far more than one dominant story. Sure, but the risk and, and, and the structures that there are, you know, we've got ministers up there and the ministers are the ones and, you know, they're the ones who are carrying the, the electoral risk, the political risk and so therefore we have to be careful that we don't go you know, too freestyle or too out there because, you know, they're the ones who have been elected and our job as public servants is to be in service of that particular elected government. Imagine how refreshing it would be to hear an anecdote uh, in your... when they're up speaking, uh, when politicians are speaking and you get to hear uh, that humanity from them. Um, so, but I, I think if you look at um, who's willing to make those kind of changes, I think you just have to look at social media and the way in which it initially started out very guarded, one-way communication, and then you start to see some changes where you start to see um, uh, account holders, for example, giving over their social media account to uh, one of their publics, basically, to to uh, to tweet or yeah. to do posts. Yeah. Um, and isn't that refreshing to get, rather than the corporate speak, you get some personal stories, some individual stories. I think that you're seeing it increasingly. People can see the value. Are we going to be the same as everyone else or are we going to stand out and the risk is worth it um, to stand out? I totally agree with that, is that you have to have a point of view, you have to be saying something and you have to be differentiated because of the competition for people's time and attention, that if you are not telling a differentiated story, well, you're just going to be, you know, ignored because why would I give you some of my most precious resource 
when you haven't earned it because you haven't, you know, told me. So if I've got my point, I've I've left the colourful and quirky bits in there. So what do I do now in terms of becoming a better storyteller or getting acceptance and support for my storytelling within my particular department or agency? Okay, so there's two things there. The first is practice. It is a skill. It is yeah. a skill that has to be practised. It's not something uh, that you can uh, do once and uh, and then you'll be great at it. So having a story buddy is good. I have a story buddy. Do uh, you? Yeah, absolutely. We ring each other up. We share uh, <laughs> the stories that we're uh, planning to use. And it's actually fantastic because we learn off each other and we also help each other with that point because okay. that's often the trickiest part. You know the story that you want to tell. You might It might be too long-winded or it might not have enough detail or it might be a bit missing. But nevertheless, it often comes back to what is the point we're trying to make and is that the story that effectively illustrates it? I'm on the end of the phone and so you call me up. Hi, time to practice telling stories. I'm going to tell you a story about what, so I have to define my point? That so, I'm going to tell you a story and this is the point that I want to make and now I'm going to tell you the story. Is that how it works? It is a bit like that and yeah. it does vary depending on what kind of uh, story pattern that you're going to use. But in many okay. ways it, it is just the natural flow of, of um, the house, uh, you know, where or when something occurred and then you sort of go through the detail a little bit and uh, and then you are rounding it up with well, what was the what was the twist there? What happened? What what differentiated this from, you know, yeah. I bumped into someone at the coffee in the coffee line. Yeah. Um, so there is something that differentiates it. But there has to be that moment of you know, twist, doesn't yeah. it, to, you know, to, yeah. to make the story interesting. Yeah. Well, well for example, um, uh, I worked as a journalist so I got the chance to interview many people and do many stories. It was um, when, when I was at the Sydney Morning Herald. But there's one story that really sticks in my mind and that was, um, um, you know, a year into being a journalist I was asked to write a story about Michael. He was a mountain climber. He'd, he was an office worker initially, answered the call of the wild and ended up going and climbing mountains. And he became a bit of a legend around Mount Everest um, for the sheer number of times that he tried. And on this occasion, I think it was his fifth or sixth attempt, and if he made it, he was going to be the oldest man in Australia to have have made the climb. And there were so many things that I wanted to ask him um, about what it was like to chase his dream and what it was like, what was it like climbing Everest. But unfortunately, I was the journalist who was writing his obituary. Oh. So I was um, the person who, sitting there at my desk thinking... I have to call his next of kin and I called his brother and as I'm dialing I'm thinking please don't answer, please don't answer but he did and he was um, so generous with his time in talking about Michael and his dreams and um, his adventures and so when I hung up the phone that day I really felt as though um, I'd I'd been lucky um, to have had that insight into that person because he was someone who chased his dream. And to this day, I still think back about him and think, you know, we all we all have dreams and we don't always chase them, but he did. And it's inspiring for me. Yeah. So you can never underestimate the power of a story to no. move you. No, indeed. And in terms of you mentioned these patterns, what are these patterns that people can perhaps use to, to help, you know, once they're into their practice, they've identified their buddy, they know that there's got to be a point, they know they're going to keep the colourful quirky bits in, they know that they've got to have a, a, a story twist and perhaps it's the, you know, they may use the Joseph Campbell hero's journey as a sort of structure. Um, what, are, what are those patterns that people may be able to apply 
in their storytelling. Yep. So uh, an organisation like Anecdote, for example, um, they have some story patterns that they demonstrate in their workshop um, and I think they're fairly generous on anecdote.com. You can see all the different uh, uh, patterns that they suggest but you really have different patterns to, do, to choose for different circumstances. But having said that, even in the, in the literature that I've been reading, there are multiple scholars who have identified what it requires. Um, but it is, it is essentially you're setting it up and then you're building the problem and then you're delivering the solution, okay. essentially. Um, so it, it really depends on the kind of thing you're trying to achieve. So, um, for example, um, you know, a case study or a success story, that's a really useful pattern to use and we should be using it all the time because if you think about it, um, you know, you, you would say to me, well, how do you know that uh, storytelling is, is being effective? Um, and I can say to you, well... <clears throat> had one participant in my workshop, very shy, English was not her first language. She was really struggling with whether or not she should attend and she was certainly um, thinking that she was not going to be saying anything in the workshop because she didn't want to make a mistake. But about halfway through the workshop, um, she shared about a time when she, before she came to Australia when she was a primary school teacher and she talked about how um, there was a boy in her class and uh, he kept coming to school and his homework book was always pages torn out and always a mess and his homework wasn't done. And she really got frustrated over time and this one day she did get him to stand up and she said to him, what is going on with your homework? Tell me now. And he, he just wouldn't say anything. And uh, another boy in the class who knew him said to, her, said to the teacher later, said to her, um, he helps his dad after work at the market and he's not, his dad's not very, stepdad's not very supportive. So obviously she followed up with the student. She apologised for putting him on the spot like that and she said to him, please tell me what's going on. And he explained to her that, um, that he helps his father at the market and whenever he sells some vegetables, he has to wrap it up in some paper. And so as a result, he tears a page out of the notebook and he wraps up the produce and he gives it to the customer. And so she realised that there was something that she could do and she started collecting paper for the stepfather so that the boy could give it to the stepfather at the market and, um, and that he could do his homework uninterrupted by this thing that was occurring. And I tell you what, it, it really brought a tear to everyone's eye that day. So he was someone who did not think that she could tell a story and have an impact. And it's very relevant when you think about it um, to a business context. Because everyone wants to be heard. Everyone wants to be seen. And here's someone who took a moment to make a difference and it really did have a big impact. So what advice do you give to people in terms of the application of these patterns and this, this sort of approach? Should, should you be telling stories in a meeting? Should you be telling stories when you're obviously in front of an audience? It's probably best to have a go at it rather than, you know, fact, 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 next slide, fact, fact, fact. What, what's the best way or, or where should people be applying these skills? What's some of the context that really work okay. for storytelling? Definitely in a presentation. Um, yeah. Kicking off uh, by, yeah. by telling a story really connects you with the audience. Yeah. Um, uh, telling something like a success story in uh, the context of the presentation as well really helps people to see, okay, this can be applicable. Um, so in a team meeting, um, it is an opportunity, but it's probably not as obvious an opportunity as, say, a presentation. Uh, but I think the, the thing is, give it a go. Mm. Try it in different circumstances. See what works. I think the bottom line is when you tell a personal story, you are putting yourself out there. You are being vulnerable. You are exposing something about yourself. But it also makes you real to the other person. And for me, um, with that, uh, my colleague that I just mentioned, 
I'd sat near to, you know, three desks away from her for seven years. I never knew that about her. And it just opens up this um, collaboration and, and desire to work more closely and yeah. get to know people around you because it's so easy to sit in silos. It's so easy to sit at your desk and not collaborate. And this breaks down the barriers. So it's a great thing for team building. It's a great, you know, it's a great thing to use in practice as well. Mm. Now, this podcast is dedicated to the practice of um, content communication, which is really aligned to what you're talking about, is really to find those stories that we can tell that will engage with the audience, that will move them to behave in a, in a particular way. What, with your PhD, just exactly what, it is, what, what is it that you're trying to discover in terms of this evidence base? Is it to prove once and for all that storytelling is an effective way of um, organisations to to get their message across? Or what is the actual purpose of the PhD? There is uh, lots of research out there uh, in the neurosciences and, and elsewhere that really show the um, the effectiveness and the power of story. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going down that path as much. I will obviously be pointing to those kind of things. Um, but it is really looking at how do you embed the practice and particularly for communication professionals because we're really the front line of that content communication. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, we can't generate it we have to go out there looking for the stories and sometimes the stories can be more authentic if they're told by the person rather than, you know, doesn't always necessarily so have to be curated. Relayed through a third party. You want the actual authentic voice to be able to say, tell us your story. So. Absolutely. So one of the things um, that I'm going to be doing very soon um, with uh, Glenn Fuller is to be looking at, in, in a pilot project, to actually be looking at What's happening out there on social media platforms in terms of that authentic content that is coming from the stakeholders themselves? Uh, so we're going to be looking at that and seeing is is it represented out there, and what what do practitioners think about that? We've talked about the risks here today already, um, but there are some accounts that we've you know handing the keys over essentially to their accounts. How's that working? What do other people in the industry think about it? So we're going to try and look at how widespread that is and what we can learn from those that are practising it. Mm. So that will form part of what I'm looking at. So really it's – but it is key, isn't it? If, uh, you know, the communications people have got responsibility for the content communication to put it together, uh, they can't do it all by themselves and so therefore they do need the contribution of the various teams, be they in a policy area or a program area or wherever. And then they've really the, – the whole idea then is to really try to – acquire the skills themselves, but then to transfer the skills throughout the organisation to say, okay, maybe the better way of presenting that information might be, or it could be enhanced by a story, an anecdote, whatever it is, to be able to make a better point or to, to, you know, to help the, encourage the sorts of behaviours that you're looking for to achieve those business objectives. That's right. Decentralising that voice, yeah. going out there for those stories and um, using them within the context of, of the communication, making it part of your strategy. Yeah, yeah it's definitely. I think, that's, I think that's really interesting um, because I think that's, you know, that authentic voice, which is, and, and I've spoken about this before, this theory that I've got around, you know, the requirement for government organisations to get the voice distributed and get it as close to the citizen or stakeholder as possible and empower those people with the skills to be able to have conversations and to be able to tell stories as we've discussed today. So that engagement point is a lot more authentic as opposed to, you know, here's a set of um, talking points produced by head office that really are not going to resonate because 
they've been created by somebody who is not anywhere near that relationship and therefore can't communicate because they've, they're not involved. And I think that increasingly is going to be, you know, uh, how we devolve and that responsibility for communication and storytelling is not going to be, uh, you know, residing centrally in a communications team but it will be distributed throughout an organisation because it's the only way that you'll be able to meet the demands of you know, an increasingly demanding uh, citizen citizenry who are looking for more information from government, more accountability, driven by technology. So anyway, that's a bit of a rave there. No, but that's absolutely right and that's where the comms professional is so crucial to all of this uh, because those skills journalistic skills in many ways in eliciting those stories and then being able to uh, upskill as you do when you're prepping someone for a media interview, you know, for example, you're upskilling them. And in many ways um, the ability to upskill people in your organisation with those storytelling skills is a really big part of that um, because people need to feel confident they can do it and and you're the inbuilt story buddy when you think about it. Yes, yeah, that's right. You know, that people could, can come and practice exactly. with you. You can help people bring them up to speed. You're going to, for example, if you're doing a video, putting it on your YouTube channel, sharing it on Facebook, and you have someone who's who's um, giving uh, a really compelling, uh, telling a compelling story in that video, it's going to have a really great impact as opposed to something that's more promo, pushing information out, might look really slick, but it doesn't have that um, yeah. that element that really touches people yeah. um, with your emotion. Connection, yeah. Absolutely. It's interesting. I can almost feel sort of organisations coming to life if this practice can be embedded and distributed throughout an organisation where at all levels of an organisation they become stronger and better storytellers because not only, as you said before, will it, you know, uh, uh, enable and uh, propagate more positive internal um, discussions and engagements, but the organisation will be communicating much more effectively at multiple levels as you know people more authentically engage around you know the very many stories that sit within and reside within government agencies because we're replete with stories. Like there's no lack of content um, to tell the stories, but perhaps we just lack those skills um, to be able to do that. And perhaps we're sort of, you know, the straight jacket of, oh, I can't say that, I better not do this, you know, I'm worried about that. But maybe technology is coming in at such a pace uh, that we need to throw off some of those shackles, understand the risks, mitigate those risks, but really build that skill level uh, in the organisation. So good luck with the PhD. How long is that going to take? So it'll take three years uh, and uh, I'll have that evidence base for you. <laughs> but, you know, as you were saying, it really does bring back the humanity yeah. to, to communications yes. Yes. and that's what we yes. need. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that. I think I, I'm, I'm animated by, by the prospects of, of improving. I, I try to do it here in, in, within my company, you know, and it's probably to the point of, you know, I... I t- Something happened. I'll say, "Oh, just let me tell you a story." And I'll, but you can tell as soon as you say that, it's all of a sudden, oh, everyone lowers down, and they're like, they all lean forward, and it's like, okay, what's he going to tell today? 
I don't know if I'm as scientific as perhaps I need to be and maybe I probably need to be a bit more considered about the point that I want to make because sometimes you find that, you know, you start rambling and it's like, oh, hang on, what was I, you know, why did I start telling that story? So I think I need to be more disciplined around that that um, story. And that comes through practice. Yeah, well, there you go. Practicing yeah. with your story, buddy, uh, and they will help hone you <laughs> yeah. and, and that's how that happens. But there's one other thing I was going to say is, you know that TV show uh, Undercover Boss? Have you ever seen that one? Yeah. It's an American version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was an Australian yeah, version. yeah. That for me is like storytelling on steroids, that show. Yeah. Because you see the undercover boss, he goes in and he's with the workers and all he's hearing is stories about innovation, stories about problems, yeah. uh, personal stories, and he goes back and he wants to change things. He or she wants to change things, make a difference. Mm. Um, and so there are so many stories in an organisation that can improve the way things are being done, that can um, improve what people think of the organisation. They're all there to be found and it is about getting people to share and it takes giving a story to get a story. So you've got to start telling stories. Indeed. But the leadership also, I think, has to has to show the way, don't they? They, they really have to have. value stories and have to and yeah. have to value the stories of the staff. And, and empower and give people permission to and to understand the value because perhaps some of them don't. But anyway, that's for another time. We'll have another time. We'll have another session on storytelling, I think, because I do see it as fundamentally important to the practice of, of, of content communication. Because once we've got the story, we actually have to assemble the story. We have to apply it through video, audio, stills, text, graphics. We have to get the story out. So we have to then think about our distribution online, offline, third-party channels. Who can we work with? And then we want to measure the impact of that particular story. So story really does sit at the heart of effective content communication as it seeks to not only um, engage with an audience but drive behaviour that's going to help an organisation to achieve its um, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time-bound objectives. So there we go. All right, Sonia, thank you so much. I am so grateful that you have come in to the studio today to have a chat with us and I know the audience would have really taken a lot from that and I'm sure they'll all be ringing up trying to find a, a story buddy and I think that, that could be great practice for everyone and I'll see if I can find a story buddy for myself and see if I can get better at telling stories. So thanks for coming in. Really appreciate that. Good luck with the PhD. Thank He's you. He's uh, a great supervisor, a very, very bright guy. Glenn Fuller. Um, and we'll get him on the podcast very soon too, because he is a, a fantastic journalism academic out at the University of Canberra here in Australia. Um, thanks again, audience, for turning up once again. A few minutes over time. I'm sure you'll forgive me that indul indulgence. Again, Kylie, sorry for ruining your walk to work. I know you like to do it in 30 minutes, but there we go. So thanks again for coming uh, this week, and I will be back at the same time next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.